0: Sheldon Richman on to talk about the history of Israel and Palestine with the Israel and Palestine conflict in the news. I figured it was only appropriate to have the man that wrote the book on it. So I hope you get a lot out of this. I'm certain you will. Sheldon really knows his shit on this topic. But first... RyanBunting.com for all of your graphic design needs. Go to RyanBunting.com. Ryan Bunting is a great libertarian and anarcho-capitalist. And he's also a great graphic designer. He designed my podcast logo and Pete Quinone's podcast logo. So go to RyanBunting.com for all of your graphic design needs. As always, thank you Tom Burton for the music. And, if you're looking to support the show, other than giving me five stars, reviewing, giving me a nice little blurb, and sharing it with everybody you think would be interested, you can go to the affiliate links for Learn Autonomy. Not only will you be helping to support the show, you'll also be learning how to be an autonomous human being. Check out the links in the show notes. I am here with Mr. Sheldon Richmond of the Libertarian Institute. How are you doing, sir?
1: I'm doing pretty good today. How are you, Tommy?
0: I'm doing well. Working, a lot of work, but that never ends out here on the road. We're always, we're always working hard out here. But all right. Well, I asked you on because over the last week there's been a lot of talk about Israel and Palestine, and uh, I was like, well, why not get in touch with the guy who wrote the book? so i figured we'll get you on and see what we can't figure out but uh before we dig into the, the current situation you want to break down kind of the history of the israeli-palestine conflict for everybody
1: well <laughs> yeah in a nutshell that's a, that's a challenge isn't it yeah uh well to put it up to put it, look, to put it I'll, put, I'll put it as succinctly as i can uh, you don't have to go back to ancient times people think oh, this is a uh, this is an ancient dispute it's a religious dispute and because everybody knows about the history you know a little bit about the history of uh, of that area the you know, the roman conquest and the earlier different conquests and uh, you know lots of action there it was an important crossroads for trade uh, and for uh, the the several big empires egypt and rome greece before that uh, and so there was a lot of action there. So people think it must reach back to that. But in fact, it really doesn't. Uh, it, it, it really goes back to the late 19th century, early 20th century, when a movement gets going. Uh, best known as the founder was Theodore Herzl, but other people were talking about it before him, and, and including uh, uh, British uh, non-Jews, came up, came up with the idea that maybe Palestine, who were part of Palestine ought to be turned into a uh, Jewish home, uh, supposedly so that the Jews of the world who were considered in exile could return to that area. Now by this point, 19th century, uh, all over the world, and in, 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 in many places quite content where they were, the United States, the reform movement gets going in the in the United States, and Jews are uh, in America are quite happy to be in America. It was uh, maybe the freest place uh, at that, uh, that stage uh, for, for religious freedom in many other respects. Um, and so it actually wasn't a big hit with uh, with Jews for the most part. It was a small movement rejected by the most religious Jews, the Orthodox, who thought only God could lead back to, to uh, Palestine, uh, Israel. Uh, and the reform, who were, uh, you know, much closer, they were much more on the secular end who didn't believe that reconstituting an ancient state, even if they could trace their roots back to it, had any meaning in the modern world. Uh, that, was, that was then. This is now. So they, they weren't looking to return. Uh, th- that was kind of a new idea to actually going back and setting up a new, new uh, uh, modern, uh, modern homeland.
0: Uh, The other uh, problem. I'm sorry. I was just going to ask, where did that idea originate from? Because I've I've read a little bit of Trotsky, and he talked about giving uh, the Jews their own settlement.
1: Well, uh, yeah, different people came up with it, but in the mid 19th century, actually, it was evangelical Protestant British uh, Britons Mm -hmm. who came up with the idea. And, uh, you know, they've been a bit motivated by, uh, by uh, uh, you know, their evangelical views that you don't have the end of days, right, until the Messiah comes, comes and the Jews return to, to Israel. Okay. But uh, there might have also something, anti might have been some anti-Semitism thrown in there. Like, right. here's a good way to get the Jews out of Britain. Let's give them a homeland in the Arab world. <laughs> Uh, And so I have a feeling that that was uh, an appeal to a lot of people who were not Jewish but who promoted uh, this idea that maybe the Jews should return. I'd be a little nervous if someone were saying, I think you should have a homeland in Palestine, and guess what? I'll help you pack your bags. Ready? (laughs) Come on, let's get going. I'm a little suspicious of that. Uh, You know, there's a a wrinkle also to this idea of going back, because uh, historians and the most recent started to write about this. Shlomo an Israeli uh, uh, professor, uh, University of Tel Aviv, has pointed out that the the Romans never exiled the Jews from from uh, that re, you know that region Judea mm-hmm. in uh, 70 A.D. 70 in the Common Era, that's the famous date. But in fact, while some of the elite and troublemakers, revolutionaries, or rebellious uh, elements. Were taken out, or kicked out. Uh, by and large, they didn't kick out the pe- the indigenous population. They needed the taxpayers. They needed the farmers. And so there wasn't really an ex- there wasn't an exile. There's no evidence of an exile. No records anywhere. There's not even a book about the exile. Anyway, let's get to modern times. Yeah. Uh, so this so movement actually gained steam over time. Theodore uh, uh, Herzl in 1896 or so sets up organization becomes international. They hold in conferences and begin a uh, movement going. Uh, during World War One, the uh, British government issues uh, what's known as the Balfour Declaration, which was pushed, of course, by uh, Zionists, which means you know Jew- Jewish advocates of, um, of the homeland, Israel. It wasn't a dirty word. It was their word. It was the Jewish word. Zionists. It's called a world Zionist organization today. It's not like a crank anti-Semitic term of insult, right? Zionism was the name of the philosophy and the movement. Uh, They had lobbied very hard for the the British government to give, not its approval, for a Jewish homeland. It was was worded in a very vague way in order to get it accepted uh, by the government of Britain uh, to set up a Jewish homeland uh, in Palestine. It was vague on whether it would be all of Palestine or in, just in Palestine, it was, you know, purposely vague. It was a political document. And part of the, the British reason for getting this is they wanted the U.S. In, uh, to get into the war, World War One, and they thought that Jewish support in America, American Jewish support for getting into the war, because Britain was not having a good time in the war at that point, uh, having a rough time, they thought this would help swing. Jewish support for getting into the war. Uh, most Jews weren't in favor of a, of a, a Jewish state in Palestine. They, they were reform and orthodox and that uh, wasn't their cup of tea, they didn't like the idea. Um, anyway, the, much of it is now generally known by people. By the, you know, We get through World War I, we get through World War II and the horrors of the Nazis, and the, the movement really catches on and the new United Nations in 1947 um uh, the General Assembly adopts a partition recommendation. i very important to stress the word recommendation. In other words, that going they, they recommended that Palestine, that area, that strip of land between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River, uh, be divided, because there were there were Jews and Arabs, Palestinian Arabs, they're all considered Palestinians in those days. Um, Living there, uh, slight majority or majority for the for the Arabs, for the non-Jews, the Muslims, the Muslims and Christians as well as secular uh, Arab Palestinians, that that area ought to be partitioned into a Jewish state and a Palestinian state or a, Arab state. Uh, and it was gerrymandered. It was a very odd. You can find the map on uh, easily online. Uh, it was gerrymandered so that the the Jewish area Get number one, 55% of the land, even though they were were under under a majority of the population, under 50% of the population. Uh, But this gerrymandering would give them a slight majority in the Jewish designated area, with the rest of the land, 45% going to the Palestinian Arabs. This was only a recommendation. Number one, the UN has zero power to partition territory. There's Hmm. nothing in its bylaws about being allowed to partition territory. They were recommending it to the Security Council, but mainly they were recommending it to the British, because the British, under the mandate system that was set up after World War I, at the uh, you know, the, the, the Paris Peace Conference, uh, gave that, basically made that a colony of the British. They didn't call it a colony, they called it a mandate. So, but they administered it. Uh, and so it was a recommendation, a recommendation, they didn't partition it. To the British, here's the way we think you know, the land ought to be divided. That way, uh, you know, there won't be uh, we don't want war, we don't want fighting, we don't want anybody hurt. Uh, the Arabs, the Palestinians, were hardly consulted, and they didn't accept the partition. I mean, they, after all, they wanted independence from the other Arab countries. They've been pushing for that, and uh, they were not going to give uh, their blessing to a division of the land. Into a Jewish state and a, and a, and, a, and, a uh, and an Arab state, a Palestinian state. They weren't against Jews living there. Jews lived peacefully with Arabs in Jerusalem and other parts of that, uh, you know, that uh, land for a very, very long time. I mean, for hundreds of years of, you know, at least a millennia. Uh, um, so the Arabs wouldn't go for it. The Israelis they wanted all of Palestine, certainly the the most most hardcore Zionist organizations and people, leaders there, wanted the whole territory, but they were willing to take what was recommended in the partition as a foothold, as a beginning. And in fact, they would never declare what their borders were because they they figured in the future we'll grab more of Mm -hmm. the land. Uh, Meanwhile, they start to drive Arabs out of their villages in the land That was set. That was part of it. Was recommended for the Jewish state, and and also, um, and this is a lot of this is even going on before the war. What's known as the War of Independence, uh, uh, got going. They're putting pressure on Arabs. They're scaring them out of the land, terrorizing them. Really, they have paramilitary, very powerful, well-armed paramilitary uh, organizations that would end up becoming the new Israeli army once the, the state was declared. Anyway, but. By uh, by the time uh, of the you know by by the end of 1948, 750,000 Arabs Palestinians were were driven or or fled their land in in fear because of what was going on. In these and, and one of the most uh, horrible cases is this uh, uh, village called Deir Yassin in April of 48. That's before uh, the declaration of independence. Uh, from the Israelis occurs, and also be, before any Arab country begins to get involved to, to try to stop all this uh, ethnic cleansing, the area is seen that there's a massacre, kills the uh, men, women, and children. Uh, I forget the number, but it's you know certainly well over a hundred. And this sort of thing happens other places, but in a lot of places, people just fled because they heard about massacres, and so they just left. So the idea was to and There was a plan to scare people to leave into leaving because the idea was to purify the land, which means put it into Jewish hands. After all, don't forget, it's supposed to be a Jewish state. And if it's a Jewish state, you can't. You certainly can't have anything but a Jewish majority. And if you could get all the Arabs to leave, then fine. That's that's uh, that's the thing to do. Uh, the Arab governments that around, or, you know, surrounding the area, are then kind of goaded into getting involved, and, and that's where the war, the war against Israel begins. But most of the fighting, because of the ethnic cleansing, the, those governments which were reluctant to fight, they weren't very well organized. They get into, uh, they, they head into the Arab, the Palestinian parts of the, uh, you know, of Palestine to try to save uh, Palestinians from being driven from their homes. Uh, anyway, it's a long story. Uh, one thing I need to highlight is Jordan was known as Trans Jordan at that time because it only it didn't have the West Bank at that point. It only had it was only on the East Bank of uh, of the, the Jordan River. Uh, they are secretly negotiating with Israel because the Jordanian King uh, who doesn't doesn't also did not want an independent Palestinian state. He wanted to rule the Palestinians. He was of that Hashemite family, which is a very prominent Arab family. That had rivals. Not everybody liked what they wanted. They wanted to rule all the Arab people, but there were other families that thought, "No, no, we want to rule. We want to be the rulers." Uh, so they cut kind a of deal with the Israelis. Actually, they weren't the Israelis yet, with the Zionist movement, uh, to div- to divide the land. Israel basically said, "Good, okay, you can have you, King Abdullah, can have the." Uh, uh, what well, well, was going to be the Palestinian part of the partition? We don't want an independent state for the Palestinians, and you'll re- so we'll respect that, and you'll respect our side. Abdullah basically agreed. The one place where they didn't strike ne- a negotiation was Jerusalem. Jerusalem under the plan was not supposed to be given to either side. It wasn't even supposed to be divided—one half for one side, one half for the other. It was supposed to be an international city. Uh, it never became an international city. Uh, uh, Israel got the western side, and, Israel, and uh, Jordan got the eastern side, and that's where this fight, this recent fight, kind of originates. I mean, there's a lot we could talk about, but that that that, that the that neighborhood in Jerusalem, in East Jerusalem, where Arabs were facing eviction, is called uh, Sheikh Jarrah, and that's in what was once Jordanian ruled eastern. East Jerusalem, and is now, since 19, 1967 war, Israeli ruled East Jerusalem. That's what kind of sparked this later conflict, this later onslaught against Gaza, because people were protesting the pending evictions. There were settlers, one of the homes and one of the land in, the, in that neighborhood. And Israel poli- Israeli police attacked worshippers uh, during the holy month of Ramadan at the Al-Aqsa Mosque who were uh, expressing their uh, opposition to the evictions and Hamas then said, if you don't stop all that, we're gonna start launching rockets again. And so they started launch- launching rockets. <laughs> I hope that kind of covers
0: Yeah, well, yeah. it does. Well, it, it leads, it me, does. To hey, it leads question, me to um, the what, uh, question, what impact did Trump moving the embassy to Jerusalem have on all of this?
1: It was inflammatory and things were said at the time back when he did that a few years ago because uh, the position, the official position ha- had always been that um, the uh, the status of Jerusalem would be kind of the, one of the last things to be negotiated after, quote, the two-state solution was, uh, you know, firmed up because for a long time, I mean, a lot of people still are committed to two states. There's now rising opposition to... Uh, against the two state, a lot of people are starting to believe two state solution is dead and gone and can never be revived. But Jerusalem is supposed to be the last step of all that. Israel always claimed it was the unified capital. After the sixty seven war, once they once they grabbed it from Jordan in the in the war against Jordan and the other Arab countries, they declared that their unified capital. In other words. Their, their view was there's nothing to discuss with the Palestinians, even if we set up, even if a, a second state is allowed, sorry, Jerusalem won't, it won't be part of it. It's part of Israel. Uh, and that in the, But the American position has always been that is to be negotiated in the future. Trump threw that out, like he did with a lot of things regarding Israel and Palestine, and declared it, that he recognized, he recognized, that it was the unified capital of Israel. Israel had annexed it, I think in 1980 or something, I forget the, the exact date, had it formally annexed the Eastern part. In other words, land seized during war, which you're not allowed to do under international law. Uh, and so uh, Trump moved the uh, embassy there as, a, as a more than a symbolic uh, show of uh, solidarity with Israel. And that's where that, that's, that was the outcome of that. It, it did help a lot of uh, Discontent
0: and uh, and, uh, and, and, pro- and and protests. Did uh, now a lot of a lot of the conservative media because I I because I come from that side and so many people I know are conservatives I kind of pay attention to it a little bit more than I pay attention to any of the other media. Yeah. But um, a lot of the conservative media are saying that well if Trump were still in office there this would have never happened this this latest you know flare-up would have never happened and it seems to me as you're pointing out that it was only a matter of time because america recognizing jerusalem as the capital of israel was a big slap in the face to all of the palestinians and 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 this isn't like where a lot of people get confused is they think that if you're if you're saying, well, Israel's doing all this wrong and they're provoking, you know, a response that you're defending Hamas. Now, this isn't saying that Hamas isn't a terrible organization, but we're we're pointing out that Israel is not, you know, the white hats in this situation either. The real victims here, I've been pointing this out ever since it started. The real victims are the are the citizens. I mean, the citizens of, of Israel, the citizens of Palestine, they're the ones getting caught up in the middle of this power struggle between these you know two opposing gangs basically and and it's just it's it's really sad for them. So was was there any sign that, that that this was happening or going to happen while Trump was still in office?
1: I'd have to see the the exact argument by the people who make that claim that it wouldn't have happened. I don't know I don't understand why it wouldn't have happened. What was I can't imagine what would Trump be doing? Uh, first of all, Biden has been as, as a, as much of a booster of Israel over his career, as you could possibly imagine, claimed, proclaimed himself a Zionist some years ago. Uh, he's uh, yeah. He's lately made a few statements uh, telling Netanyahu that maybe we need to, he needs to de-escalate because he's getting some flack from the, you know, some of the progressives in, in the, uh, in, in his party. Uh, but uh I, I, I really don't see that argument. Uh, look, the problem, the thing with Hamas, you need to understand. I, and I don't approve of Hamas. First of all, it's a. Uh, I'm a totally secular person. I'm not religious in any respect. My background is Jewish. I have Jewish upbringing, Jewish education. Uh, but I, uh, but I'm. Uh, you know, I don't regard myself as uh, as as of any religion or any tribe, uh, except good rational people who favor freedom, that's my tribe, all good, all good rational people favor freedom. Uh, but when you when you dispossess and oppress a group of people, and never engage in good faith conversations with them about how you can restore their rights, if you do that, you are gonna make the most extremist, in other words, violent types rise to the top of the of the subjugated people, that that's an old story. We know that. We know that. If you if you if you put people in a corner and you know take stuff away from them and don't recognize any rights, and it's especially true in Gaza, but it's also true to some to a lesser extent, but still a large extent in the on the West Bank, and and it's also and and uh, it's true to some extent again a lesser extent but still a substantial extent of the Arab Palestinians in. Israel itself, in other words, before the, the pre-1967 borders, the 1948 borders, they don't have complete rights. So if you do that, you are encouraging the most violent elements to rise to the top, because if, you, if people seem to have no other alternative, then violence is going to seem appealing. I don't approve of launching rockets, you know, just willy-nilly toward population centers. Now, these are not great rockets they don't have guided systems I'm not saying they can't kill anybody but you know they've killed I think the latest count I saw is 12 people that's that's tragic but the the, the, the Israeli military has killed what is it 67 uh, children in Gaza 212 or more people total but they've killed more children than the, the, the Hamas rockets have killed Israelis so I'm not approving of that but I'm saying if If you want to stop rockets, you don't have Iron Dome, you know, this air defense. Have real talks with people and show that you have good faith and really are sorry about what happened, and you want to restore their rights and find some way to live peacefully. That'll get rid of Hamas. And, you know, Israel encouraged Hamas in another way that's not widely known, but it was written about in the mainstream press, the wider services, and, in the 1980s, I believe this is, Hamas wasn't always a player. The big Palestinian player, there were a couple of more minor organizations, was the Palestine uh, Liberation Organization, the PLO, which was also a coalition. Its main faction that that Yasser Arafat had was was Fatah. It eventually became the Palestinian Authority under the Oslo uh, Accord, especially in the West Bank. the PLO was a secular organization. It was not a fundamentalist Muslim organization. It had Christians. It had it didn't care. It didn't talk about religion. It talked about land and politics and rights. Uh, I'm not saying I approve everything they ever said or ever, ever did. I, I don't. They, they killed innocent people, and I, and I don't approve of that, of course. Uh, but it was a secular organization. That's my point, secular. Israel helped to nourish Hamas, when it began to arise, because it would be a divide and conquer uh, device, in other words, if you help a religious organization rise, a more fundamentalist uh, uh, Sunni uh, Muslim organization arise as a rival to the secular, you're going to hurt the influence, you're going to detract, take away influence from the secular, from the PLO, which was very representative, it was favored by most Palestinians. And so, you know, Israel, the, the, the rulers of Israel, I don't blame the average Israeli person, really have themselves to blame for this, for the rise of Hamas, but also for the fact that the, that the, the most uh, violent element will, uh, will rise to the top if you're not willing to talk to people in good faith, not phony two-state things where you're making demands they can't possibly uh, accept, that are, that are uh, uh, insulting, uh, you know, they wouldn't really have control over their own lives. I'm not talking about that, I'm talking about real discussions in order to try to make, make things better, but also acknowledge that, yes, we took, we drove Palestinians off their land and we have not permitted them to return. It's funny that the, the dispute over houses in East Jerusalem uh, are, are said that the, the settlers will say these were Jewish homes. Except Jordan took over East Jerusalem to kick Jews out of homes, and now we want those homes back for Jews. Well, I bet you that's true in a lot of cases. Jews probably were not well treated by Jordan uh, in, in East Jerusalem after the 48 War. But a lot of some of the Arabs who moved into those homes when Jordan was uh, in control were driven out of their West Jerusalem homes by the Israelis. And it's not just West Jerusalem. Jews were driven, I mean so Arabs were driven out of their homes, Palestinians out of their homes through 47 and 48, and early, even earlier times were kicked off their land that they had farmed and worked, you know, worked and lived on and farmed for generations. They're not allowed, they're not allowed to return. So what so why Jews have a right to return in East Jerusalem, but Palestinian Arabs don't have any right to return anywhere in uh in in the state of Israel, even if they were born there, even if their families had lived there for generations. Uh, That's why people, among the reasons, people are more and more declaring that Israel is a apartheid state. And two key uh, human rights organizations, B'Tselem, which is the most prominent and respected uh, Israeli human rights organization, that's B'Tselem, and Human Rights Watch have both recently put out reports and statements saying Israel is an apartheid state based on the principle of Jewish domination or Jewish supremacy? They they use those terms. Uh, the gloves are coming off on the, on the, for, uh, by the critics that they're they're realizing this is not something we can uh, just uh, you know uh, tiptoe around. We have to face these issues. It's an apartheid system from the river to the sea, not just in, even in just the West Bank and Gaza, but that whole area. So
0: yeah and when you when you look at you know just look at gaza you know it's it's an open-air prison the way that they they treat these people i mean i've i've watched um documentaries where you see the idf running through the streets at you know two three o'clock in the afternoon telling people they're out past curfew you know And, and you're like what what is what is happening here and it's 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 really sad to see that and a lot of a lot of the conservatives will say well you know Israel agreed to a two-state solution but the Arabs would never agree to it they always they were always saying no we're gonna run Israel out uh, uh, of, of of the region so you want to you want to touch oh, on that for what, a second
1: in the in the, uh, in the late 80s the, uh, the PLO, Arafat uh, did finally embrace the two states uh, idea which meant that he was now conceding 78 percent right israel under the partition idea proposal was to get was to be 55 percent by the time the 48 war was over they had 78 percent That the was that's gaza and the west bank including east jerusalem uh, for the first few decades Uh, The PLO's position was one democratic state where all rights are recognized. Now, you could say you don't believe them, but that's what the language was. It wasn't, in other words, they didn't want a Zionist regime, as they might call it, because the Zionist regime was a Jewish supremacist regime. They wanted a a single state where all rights are recognized. You can look up, again, you, you can doubt him, but at least let's look at the words. You can find Arafat's speech to the UN in, what is it, 1974, the famous, like, I have a gun in one hand and an olive branch in the other, and famous, uh, famous speech. You can see what he says, or you can look it up uh, and read the text. In the 80s, I think he realized that that wasn't going to get anywhere, by the end of the 80s, he and the PLO are saying, okay, look, you can have the 78%, give us the 22 the 22%. Nobody ever talks about that being a big concession on the part of the Palestinians. All we hear about, we hear about Israeli concessions like all the time, but they're always meaningless for the most part, because even any Palestinian state that said it was willing to have would be totally controlled in the exterior by Israel. All security would be in Israel's hands. There wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be a state in the modern sense of the word state. It would be... And then since then, the way they divided up the West Bank, even a two-state solution today would include not a unified Palestinian state at all, but on the West Bank, it would be little pockets of villages here, village there. And then you still have all these Jewish settlements that have been built since 67, and a wall that snakes through the West Bank and separates homes from from farmland and it's in this or surrounds one village. Uh, this uh, thing about you mentioned soldiers uh, walking the streets and ordering people back in their homes. That's the West Bank. They don't walk the streets normally in Gaza. It's true that in the early two thousand, the Israelis withdrew from Gaza. You often hear this by the pro-Israel side in the United States saying, "What do you want? They withdrew from Gaza, and look what Gaza did. They turned to Hamas and they fire rockets." Well, yeah, they. They withdrew and they took out settlements because they had built Jewish settlements in Gaza. It's true, they withdrew the army and they they took the settlements out, so the Jews left. But that didn't mean Gaza was left free. It's like if you take the the prison guards out of a prison, but but they're still in control, they they control the perimeter and they control who and what gets in and out. You know, sure, you can call that a withdrawal, but did they set them free, did they liberate, no. Uh, liberation withdrawal doesn't equal liberation, and so, it, like you say, it's an open air prison. It's since what is it, 2011, 2012? There's been a siege, a bit of total, you know, almost a total blockade of uh, of um, it controls what of uh, Gaza. It, Israel controls by air, land, and sea what can get in, what goods can get in, and, and lots of things can't get in. They're, they've had trouble getting some medicines and food. Water is a, is barely a fit for consumption. Uh, lots and you know more than half the population is under 18, so ch- a lot of children are in pretty bad shape as well. Uh, so it's a it's a real b- it's a bad scene. And then every couple of years, Israel then has this um, unbelievable military power that it unleashes on Gaza. Yeah, you, you might say, okay, oh, Gaza, uh, they launch some rockets and, and 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 they endanger Israelis and maybe even kill a small number of Israelis, but. The idea that uh, to talk about Hamas's power and Israel's power to use those same terms power is a joke, because Israel—I mean, uh, Hamas is like a mouse compared to a uh, you know a dinosaur. Uh, the Israeli—I mean, the really have a, the premier military in the uh, region? You know, they get they get four almost four billion dollars. Worth of uh, military uh, equipment and money from the United States every single year, and there's a new there's a bill of 700 billion being talked about in, in Congress at this moment while we speak. Uh, it's a it's a joke to say, well, you know, these two powers are that Israel has a right to self-defense. What about the why do Palestinians have a right to self-defense? Uh, I mean, it's, it it just makes no it's absurd to be talking in those terms.
0: Yeah, it it, it almost makes you feel like no matter what happens what what the palestinians do from the side of gaza it it, they could they could go almost as far as they want and you could find reasoning that it is self-defense because just the boot that's been on their neck for so long and it's really it's really distressful but um I know. Uh, I know you. You wanted to keep this a little short. We. You had things to do, and I got stuff to do too. So, uh, plug whatever you got to plug, and um, we'll uh, we'll get off here.
1: Well, go to the Libertarian Institute. You'll read, up, you'll read articles on this uh, pretty much each day. There's been something uh, posted uh, either uh, from some other site or something uh, original. I have a book that came out. Uh, was it last year or the year before? Now. Uh, through the Libertarian Institute, you can find it, or at Amazon, called um, "Coming to Palestine," uh, which I think is a is a pretty good layman's uh, discussion of all of this that I talked about today from a libertarian standpoint. I really stress because people are used to thinking, because this is what they hear, that criticism of Israel is coming from sort of the left, the tradi- you know, in the traditional sense of left, right, socialists, progressives. People that the libertarians don't uh, uh, have much in common with, so they are skeptical that they're getting the truth. Uh, when you think about it, this is a property rights dispute. This is a this is a, a, an argument over land who who owns it. I don't mean it, and I don't mean it in the terms of what people own it or what nation owns it. What individuals, which individuals own individual pieces of land? Palestinian individuals were driven off their land. That's a property, that's a Lockean property rights uh, uh, argument uh, and analysis. And there's no way to describe it without it. Even when the left talks about it, when you hear the left talk about it, very often you think, what are they now, they pro property rights? Great, that's good to know. Uh, Of course, they don't really see it that way. So I would recommend, if you want to know what's going on and it's relevant today, today's conflict, if you want to know the history, but it's not uh, going to flood you with data, and it's not over technical, it's written for people who know very little. I would recommend my book. I mean, of course, it's my book. It's self-serving, but but uh, take a look at it, uh, and and read and read the libertarian institute each day. You'll find stuff not just on this issue, but the all political issues.
0: He also has another book, uh, What Social Animals Owe to Each Other, which is very good. I, I recommend both of Sheldon's books, um, especially the one uh, coming to Palestine. And I'll, I'll make sure I put both of those in the show notes so that people can find it easily. And I'll send them to the Libertarian Institute because fuck Amazon. So. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate you, Sheldon. I, uh, I'll be glad to have you on again anytime.
1: Anytime, hey, Tom, man. Enjoy
0: all right, buddy. You have a good one. You too. So much of the focus of my podcast is to point out abuses of power and how bad things have gotten and the direction in which we're heading as a society. And it can be a real black pill. I've partnered up with Richard Grove to offer my listeners an opportunity to sign up to his autonomy course. Uh, The autonomy course is designed for people looking for solutions, people that want to shape their own future, people that are not willing to be at the behest of large corporations or the United States government or the banking system. The autonomy course is designed for those of you who wish to have complete control of the reins of your life, who are looking to be successful, that to thrive and not just survive, to provide for your family by utilizing your existing skills and learning how to market and sell those skills in order to be your own boss or learn new skills in order to leverage that into a new career opportunity. So if there's a job out there you've been trying to get or you've been wishing you could get but you just don't have the skills for it. The Autonomy Course is the place for you to start, to learn how to land that position, to learn how to market yourself better, to gain confidence, and to be surrounded by a community of like-minded people that will encourage you and help you along the way. So use my affiliate links and go check out the Autonomy Course. It could be right for you.
2: play this game of pick and choose well it's a game that was made for you to lose it doesn't really matter how many times it's the same old worn out story same old lines they're all pointing dirty fingers in hypocrisy bragging on their feet of mediocrity again never really making it Change But they keep on getting re-elected and I find that strange That's why I say, fuck them, don't feed them Cause we don't even need them I never celebrate the tyrants that take taking our freedoms Yeah, I said, fuck them, don't feed them Cause we don't even need them I never celebrate the tyrants that take taken our freedoms What's it gonna take for you to see We don't even need' them. I never celebrate the towns out again I feed' them. yeah I fuck them don't feed them cause we don't even need 'em. I never celebrate the towns out of ten again I feed' them.